This is the Green Street News. Patty and Doug Wood and our network of scientists, researchers, reporters, and authors with your weekly update on what in the world is happening and how it may impact your health. Welcome back. The next time someone hands you a water bottle made from plastic, remember the witch in Snow White handing her that juicy red apple. Because the water that's in that water bottle contains a witch's brew of chemicals that can mess with the hormones in your body, interfering with your metabolism, your reproductive system, and it can lead to the development of cancer. Never drink anything from a plastic bottle. That incredible story and Patty with the Week's headlines all coming up on this edition of Green Street News. Stay with us. Okay, Patty Wood, what happened in the world of environmental health this week? Well, this is one that I knew would be coming, and it's here. So this is an article that was written by Kos Temenes, and it was published in NTD News, and the title is, New Study Shows Widely Used Sweetener Contains Chemical Compound That Can Damage DNA. Okay. A new study from the North Carolina State University has revealed a link between a widely used sweetener and a chemical compound known to cause DNA damage. The study found the chemical is formed when digesting the sweetener and trace amounts of the chemical are also found in the sweetener itself. Sucralose is widely distributed under the trade name Splenda and is also contained in many food products such as protein bars, shakes, and energy drinks. One of the chemical compounds contained in sucralose is sucralose-6-acetate. An author of the study, Susan Schiffman, commented, quote, Our new work establishes that sucralose-6-acetate is genotoxic, end quote. Genotoxic means it breaks up DNA, according to Medical Express reporting on the study. Millions of people use Splenda every day. Oh, absolutely. It's a little yellow envelope on yeah. the table. Yeah. Schiffman, who is also an adjunct professor at North Carolina State, added that trace amounts of sucralose 6-acetate can be found in off-the-shelf sucralose even before it is consumed and metabolized. The European Food Safety Authority has determined the threshold of toxicological concern for all genotoxic substances to be 0.15 micrograms per person per day. That doesn't sound like very much. Yeah, but the, the work in this study suggests that the trace amounts of sucralose 6-acetate in a single daily sucralose-sweetened drink exceeds that threshold. And that's not even accounting for the amount of sucralose 6-acetate produced as metabolites after people consume the product. So it's in the product itself. It's in the little yellow package. Mm -hmm. And it's also being created in your body after you ingest it? When you digest it. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Study found the chemical is formed when digesting the sweetener, and it has trace amounts in the in the sweetener itself. The study involved a series of in vitro experiments in which human blood cells were exposed to sucralose 6-acetate. The cells were then monitored for signs of genotoxicity. Results showed that the chemical effectively broke up DNA in the cells that were exposed to it. It's time to revisit the safety and regulatory status of sucralose because the evidence is mounting that it carries significant risks. It breaks up the DNA. Yep. Holy yep. Christ. Sucralose is a chlorinated artificial sweetener used worldwide as a sugar substitute in thousands of foods, beverages, and pharmaceutical products. Its sweet taste was discovered at Queen Elizabeth College in London as part of a program to chemically modify sucrose or table sugar for possible industrial applications. 
The sweetness potential of sucralose varies depending on the specific application, but it is on average 400 to 650 times greater than table sugar. The sweetness is 400 to 650 times greater than table sugar. People love sweet things. Wow. Exactly. Concerns are not confined to the use of sucralose alone. Other artificial sweeteners have also been subject to controversy based on adverse effects on health. Well, you remember way back when, when saccharin was being used, that was a little pink envelope, right? Saccharin was being used in sodas like Tab and whatever. We all sure. thought it was the greatest thing ever. You could drink something with zero calories, right? But that was linked to bladder cancer. Then, of course, we had aspartame which came along after saccharin, and that's linked to brain cancer. And now we have now we have sucralose. I mean, you stop playing around with this. Have a little bit of real sugar or honey or maple syrup or just eat fruit yeah. if you need something sweet. It's crazy. Here we go again. Every time we think we can improve on nature, it turns out nature is smarter than we are. And we keep learning this lesson over and over and over and right. over. Right. Like you say, put a little sugar in it. Okay. Exactly. Well, now the, the World Health Organization has released a new set of guidelines recommending against the use of non-sugar sweeteners to control body weight or reduce the risk yeah. of non-communicable diseases. Yeah. They say that using non-sugar sweeteners does not help with weight control in the long term and recommends using natural sugar alternatives such as fruit or consuming unsweetened food and beverages. Results of this new study suggest that there may be potential undesirable effects from long-term use of sucralose, such as an increased risk of type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and mortality Boy, that's in a, adults. That's a carefully phrased sentence. Very carefully phrased. You know, come on, stop beating around the bush. Just tell people not to, not to eat it anymore. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, that's interesting. What else you got? You yeah. going to talk about the smoke that happened? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to talk about that. And actually, I just finished writing this article for Blank Slate Media, which is where it is going to be published this coming week. Okay. We're getting and a sneak preview of your article. Sneak is preview. Right? And the okay. title is Wildfires, Climate Change, and Our Health. Okay. Last week, as we were being told to close our windows and doors, cancel outdoor activities, and once again don our N95 masks, it was shocking to some that our air was being affected by an event happening, quote, somewhere far away, end quote. Wildfires in Canada, almost a thousand miles away from the New York metropolitan area, created a veil of smoke and particulate matter with a sickening orange hue that made even the sun a shadow of itself. It was a wild day in New York, I yeah. gotta just say. Yeah, I mean, exactly. You couldn't, see, you couldn't see anything. Yeah. Well, even before I was aware of what was happening, I thought there might be a house fire nearby as the smell of burning wood was really overpowering it, even inside the house. Yeah. But wildfires have always been a natural part of forest ecosystems, with nature seeing to it that a healthy balance is maintained. Climate change is playing a key role in increasing the risk and extent of wildfires, with high temperatures and lack of rain, which is drought, being the most important factors. Mm -hmm. And of course you need fuel, and that is provided in organic matter in the form of dry trees, grasses, and other undergrowth. Projections have shown that an average annual one degree Celsius increase could widen the burned area of a forest fire as much as 600% in some types of forests. One degree change. That's, that's it. That's not very much. That's it. Over 400 wildfires across Canada have scorched nearly a million acres, 15 times the normal burned area for this time of year. 
This trend so early in the season has climate scientists very concerned about northern Canada's boreal forests, which are major carbon sinks, storing a large percentage of all land-based carbon in the world, most of it in the soil. They have been playing a vital role in holding back the climate crisis. If fire activity continues at the current pace, Canadian officials said that scientific modeling shows that Canada is on track to experience the worst wildfire season in its recorded history, and many of the fires are exhibiting alarming rotational patterns, creating their own clouds and spreading smoke across the continent. Yeah, sending it south instead of out to the ocean. South and east. New York Senator Chuck Schumer gave this warning, quote, We cannot ignore that climate change continues to make these disasters worse. This smoke and fog over New York and the rest of the Northeast is a warning from nature that we have a lot of work to do to reverse the destruction of climate change. I think a lot of people took it as a real message from the planet to say, this is global warming, this is climate change, you better do something. I mean, nature is doing everything it can to tell us we need to change the way we do things. we have been affected by climate change in that we've had really, really hot temperatures, right? We've had just, you know, unusually hot temperatures. And our seasons are changing here, yeah. right? We have a longer fall, a shorter winter with not a whole lot of snow. And then we have a longer spring. Sometimes it's really cold in the spring. So we'll we'll see what happens. But our seasons are changing. But this is the first time that we have actually experienced what... Some other parts of the country, like California and Oregon, are experiencing every single year during the wildfire season, which, by the way, is expanding. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Patty. You're welcome. There's a new ad running on the TV and digital platforms these days about how the plastic industry is turning over a new leaf and they're going to protect the environment and make the world more sustainable. Here's a sample from one of those ads. If we want to create a more viable future for our kids, we need to find more sustainable ways of doing things. That's why America's plastic makers are constantly looking at ways to make plastics more dependable, more recyclable, and more reusable. What we're doing will make the planet cleaner and healthier today and will enable generations to come. America's Plastic Makers, we are making sustainable change together. Everything you just heard is a lie. It was written by someone at an ad agency who gets paid to make the plastic industry look good, to ignore the accumulating science, to pretend that what's happening in the world isn't real, and that you should just relax and know that when it comes to protecting the environment and your own health, the plastic industry has your back. A lot of people will probably believe that message. And for the two giant industries behind the production of plastic, the fossil fuel industry and the chemical industry, it's critical that people do. No matter the cost of the ad campaign, the two giant industries need to convince the world that everything is fine and people can go back to whatever they were doing before they heard a program like the one you are about to hear today. But things are not fine. The fossil fuel industry is panicked about its future and it's looking to plastic to be its savior, to keep it in business as the world slowly turns away from the burning of fossil fuels for energy. And now it's worried that the truth about plastic will get out. People will learn how plastic is impacting not just the environment, but their own health. 
and they will understand that recycling plastic is a fairy tale, just like the story of Snow White. Suffice it to say that the oil and gas industry and the chemical industry, partners in the crime of plastic pollution and plastic toxicity, aren't going to spend a lot of money on advertising to convince people that plastic is fine unless they know they have a problem, a real problem that they can't actually fix. I think this is the public health crisis of our time. And I tell people plastics are gonna kill us before climate. This is a sneaky issue under the radar. People don't really understand it. And the industry messaging is powerful. That's Dr. Jenny Davies, a medical doctor and a lawyer with a Master of Public Health degree and the Public and Environmental Health Director for Cafeteria Culture. If you have a plastic water bottle on your desk right now or in your car or your backpack or wherever you're hearing this program, before you take another sip, you might want to know about the study conducted last year in Denmark. In the water bottle study, they studied three reusable, popular sports water bottles. So these are the squeezable plastic water bottles. They didn't tell us what brand. They said they were commonly used uh, water bottles, popular brands. And what they did, um, they took the water bottles, filled them with room temperature tap water, let the water sit in the bottles for 24 hours, and had glass bottles as controlled, did the same. Then they tested the water inside the bottles and they found over 400 plastic chemicals in the water that had sat in the bottle for 24 hours. And this is room temperature, not heated water. Let's review. Three different commonly used plastic sports water bottles and three glass bottles all filled with water. Let the water sit for 24 hours, and in the plastic bottles, 400 chemicals have migrated from the plastic into the water, while the water in the glass bottles had no chemicals. But the bad news doesn't stop there. So then they did a step two. They then uh, took the water bottles, they put them in the dishwasher, like a regular home dishwasher. We would use regular dishwasher detergent, like something we might do at home. After wash cycle, they removed the water bottles, rinsed them out really, really well, and then repeated the experiment, refilled the bottles with tap water for 24 hours um, and retested the water. And this time they found over 3,500 plastic chemicals in the water bottles. So what did they find? They found a lot of the intentionally added substances, plasticizers, flame retardants, uh, all of those chemicals. But they also found a big group, a 90, the non-intentionally added substances. What we learned from the water bottle study, some really important things. First, that this migration of plastic chemicals from a bottle into water or from any plastic object into your food or water is fast. 24 hours, a lot of our food sits in plastic for a lot longer than 24 hours. That it, migration occurs in room temperature. And I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I was taught, well, just don't heat your plastic, right? Don't put it in the microwave oven, uh, then you're good. But that's not true. This all occurred at room temperature. Uh, we learned that migration occurs from new plastic items. One of the water bottles was new and they, they tested it twice with the new and they tested it twice with two used plastic chemicals migrate from used plastic items. And importantly, they migrate into non-lipid pH neutral substances like water. So you might hypothesize because we know these chemicals are lipophilic that they migrate uh, mainly into lipids. But now here, this study shows that they migrate into water. If 
there had been milk or some type of lipid-containing substance in the bottle, uh, we would likely have seen more migration of more uh, chemicals. Okay, so drinking anything out of a plastic bottle is inviting into your body a host of chemicals that we know can cause serious health problems. But how do those chemicals get into the plastic in the first place? Let's go back to how plastic is made. Plastics are fossil fuels plus chemicals. Fossil fuels are extracted from the ground in the form of oil, coal, and natural gas. They're sent to a refinery. The refinery cleans out and breaks into small pieces those hydrocarbon molecules. And so you get these um, small molecules that are then strung together chemically like beads on a necklace. And that is your polymer. And that's really important to know that there's a polymer, a hydrocarbon-derived polymer that is one part of the plastic. But the industry secret, and I think a lot of people don't understand this, the industry secret is that you can't make plastic products from the hydrocarbon polymer alone. You have to add chemicals and lots of them, thousands of them. There was a new study this year that found 10,000 chemicals are used to make plastic products. Now the industry refers to these as chemical additives. And so when I first heard chemical additives, I was picturing a big vat of melted polymer and a little eyedropper with a couple drops here and a couple drops here, a tablespoon of this, a teaspoon of that, you know, kind of my cooking metaphor. But it's not like that at all. You can't make the product without those chemicals. And why those chemicals? The chemicals are used to confer those magic properties that we are uh, expect of our plastics. They are plasticizers. I kind of break them into two groups. There's the aesthetic plasticizers, make our plastics pretty, uh, colorful, transparent, smooth, make the plastics so they don't pick up the smells of, the, uh, of their contents things they contain. There's functional plasticizers, makes the plastic rigid, but shatterproof or soft and pliable. There's um, heat stabilizers, so the plastic doesn't start to degrade when exposed to heat. There's UV stabilizers, doesn't degrade when exposed to light. There's flame retardants, because why these plastics are made from hydrocarbons, they're combustible. So everything has to have flame retardant. And then there's this big group of what's called processing aids, and these are things that um, allow and facilitate the mass production of plastic products. Things that keep the plastic goop from sticking to the machinery, uh, make sure the plastic doesn't buckle, make sure the films are transparent and thin, there are all kinds of processing aids. So there's so many chemicals now though, that scientists group them into two categories. There's the, these are the intentionally added substances, the ones that confer these magic properties. There's also now a group called the non-intentionally added substances. And these are chemicals that uh, result from interactions. They're surprise chemicals. They weren't intended to be added to the plastic. They occur either during the plastic production process or they occur after the plastic has been made and you've bought it and you bring it home and it's sitting in your house. And uh, they occur because the chemicals already in the product are interacting with each other, or they uh, can occur because the chemicals over time degrade, so they call degradation products. So we're talking tens of thousands of chemicals.
Okay, so plastic is made up of a combination of fossil fuels and chemicals, some added to give the plastic certain characteristics and some added to aid in the manufacturing process. And the chemicals are leaching into whatever is in the plastic bottle we're drinking from. But what are those chemicals doing to the environment and to us? People say to me, well, oh, those chemicals are great. They allow us to do all kinds of things with plastic. They make plastic functional, waterproof, durable. Um, that's great. What's the problem with the chemicals? Well, that all the chemicals that are added are either what we call persistent organic pollutants or heavy metals. And what is a persistent organic pollutant? It is a long-lived chemical, a pollutant, something that is added to the environment or added to our lives in ways that cause harm. It is an oily substance, which means that it doesn't degrade when it comes into contact with water. So like trying to wash your skillet after you've sauteed something in it with just a little water, the oil from the skillet is not broken down by water. And that's exactly what happens with these substances. They get out into the environment and they don't degrade, but they, they're mobile because they can ride on top of water. So they're very mobile in the air and in the earth and on top of water. In our bodies, we can't eliminate them easily. Most of our, uh, well, our elimin main elimination processes, which is our pee and poop, are water-based. And these chemicals are oil-based, so we can't rid them from our bodies easily. We say they bioaccumulate, which just means they collect in our bodies, and they collect in the fatty tissues of our bodies. But they don't just sit there. They insert themselves into different um, lipid-based systems. So we have a lot of those, such as our endocrine system. Those are hormones that travel through our body. Hormones are molecules that are made of both lipid and protein. So the lipid component attracts these persistent organic pollutants that are, are sitting in our fatty tissues. And they kind of, these chemicals act like monkey wrenches, mimicking those hormones, blocking those hormones, interfering with hormone processes. They interfere with our nervous system, which is also based on uh, lipid molecules. The hormone disruption or uh, leads and the chemical disruption with these other systems in our body uh, leads to malfunctions in appetite and metabolism. And this causes obesity, diabetes, and heart disease. These chemicals are now labeled as obesogens. They interfere with cell growth regulation that can lead to cancer. They interfere with neurodevelopmental systems. So we end up with cognitive learning and behavioral disorders, especially in children and youth. They interfere with reproductive systems. So we see early puberty, infertility, male birth defects, and they actually interfere with our cells ability to read DNA, something we call the epigenetic effect. And this is the same thing as a DNA, actual DNA defect itself, which can be passed on to offspring. So these chemicals are like monkey branches and cause system-wide malfunctions. The contamination of our environment and our bodies with chemicals from plastic that negatively impact our health is not the only bad news, because plastic contains not only chemicals, but as Dr. Davies points out, heavy metals as well. Heavy metals are used widely in plastic production, uh, often to soften the plastic, to give us those soft and supple plastics, or to give color to the product, or to uh, catalyze all these other uh, chemical reactions that are required to produce the product. In heavy metals, we've known this is uh, mercury, lead, 
cadmium and antimony. We've known for a long time that they're neurotoxins, and which means they harm brain function and development and can cause cancer. Recycling, that's what we need to do. Get every bottle back, says the ad campaign. Even though everyone in the plastic industry has known for decades that recycling plastic is a myth, a dream. As our friend Judith Inc. from Beyond Plastics said on this show a few weeks ago, imagine baking a cake and then trying to extract just the eggs. It can't be done. And that's why recycling plastic is a big, fat lie. First of all, no plastic can be recycled. It's chemically impossible, so I want to address that. What recycling means is converting an item to another item of equal value. And that's what the triangles also imply. It's a closed loop, right? We can go around and around. We can take a a glass item, stick it in our recycle bin. It can be crushed and then made into another glass item. That's recycling. Um, And that loop can continue for a long time. Even with glass, you have to add some sand at some point and same with metal, but the loop can continue for a long time. That has never been the case uh, with plastic. And the reason is because of the way plastic is made. So you have your polymer and you have your bunch of chemicals and they're made into uh, little pellets called nurdles or pre-production pellets, right? You feed them into a hopper of a machine the little pellets travel down the machine and they're heated and they melt into a goop. So they're heated and they melt. It's a chemical stress. Then they are uh, squeezed, we call it injected or extruded into a mold. So that's another stress, physical stress. Those two stressors, the heating and the compression irreversibly chemically alter the polymer. Remember that long hydrocarbon chain that we made at the beginning. So in your product, in the first product, you already you have a polymer that has been altered. Its chemical structure has been altered. So you, if it were truly recyclable, you could take that product, shred it, put it back into the hopper, eat it through the machine and come up with another identical. You can't do that because the substance itself has been chemically altered. While the fossil fuel industry and the chemical industry spend tens of millions of dollars on advertising to convince us that everything is just fine, the truth about plastic is slowly getting out into the mainstream. It's becoming clearer every day that plastic is harming the environment negatively impacting human health all over the planet. And the only real solution is to turn off the tap, to stop the production of plastic as much as possible, except for things for which there is truly no substitute. But some people are still in denial about plastic. People resist this information because they've been drinking out of these water bottles like me and all my kids for like decades for the Nalgene bottles that were so big just 10 years ago. So it's really important for people to get this clearly. I like to describe two pathways of chemical harms. The first is during use, and that's the leaching or the leaking of the plastic chemicals that are in the plastic. The second 
is after use. You've used the product, you send your plastic away somewhere, and then we know that plastic does not biodegrade. It will weaken and become brittle over time and then break into many, many pieces. It's very small pieces. We have microplastics, which is plastic smaller than five millimeters in size, the size of the eraser on the end of a pencil. Uh, but that breaking process doesn't stop. The little pieces continue to break and now scientists are identifying nanoplastics. So the particle damage, what kind of damage those particles can do. So to simplify it, we have the chemical exposures and we have particle damage. Of course, it's not that clear. I, it's really two, think of a Venn diagram with two overlapping circles. Coca-Cola and Pepsi, they can take their PET bottle and they can, after a single use, they can now make a plastic bag from it, but they can never again make another bottle. So you've taken an item and you've converted it into another item of inferior quality. Now that plastic bag can only be used once and then guess what? In the landfiller environment. Dr. Jenny Davies, MD, MPH, and JD, all initials that spell competence, authority, and knowledge. Dr. Davies is the Public and Environmental Health Director for Cafeteria Culture, which is a nonprofit working creatively with youth to achieve equitable, zero-waste, climate-smart school communities and a plastic-free biosphere. On the web at cafeteriaculture.org. Please check out their great programs for kids. That's going to do it for our show today. Special thanks to our friend, Dr. Jenny Davies, our news editor, Alan Weiniger, our engineer, Josh Lyman, associate producer, Toby Ziegler, social media director, Donna Moss, and our marketing director, Sam Seaborn. I'm Doug Wood. Patty and I will be back next week with another edition of Green Street News. Thanks for listening. <laughs>